0: Good morning and Happy New Year. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. It is a new year, but we are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind, as we begin thinking about our text this morning, I wonder if you wouldn't mind considering the story of your life, where you have been, where you are heading where is your story taking you right now? If, you're, if, if your life right now had a chapter heading, what, what might that chapter heading be? You know, what will the next chapter bring? And the one after that, and the one after that. You know, part of what makes these kind of questions so difficult for us to consider is that we learn over time that we don't always know what we are going through until after we have gone through it. We learn how little of our lives we control. We make plans. We prepare. We have goals in mind. Now we stand at the threshold of another year. Looking out at what might be. With all the hope that generally comes at this time. You know, in the first book of the Lord of the Rings... Bilbo Baggins leaves his little hobbit home and he goes on a journey. And as he leaves his little home, he begins to hum and sing a little song to himself. He sings, the road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead, the road has gone and I must follow if I can. Pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet. And whither then? I cannot say. Later on in that same story, Frodo is recounting the advice that his uncle Bilbo had given him about taking trips and going on journeys and leaving the door. And he he says this, recounting that advice. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your front door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And that is true. We we step into this new year and I am guessing many of you have either made resolutions or some kind of general idea. I would like to see this happen this year. But the reality is we have no idea where this year will sweep us off to. We have no idea what will come even next week, much less 12 months from now. We create plans and goals. We make resolutions. But we do not know where and what detours we may face. What we find as we come to verse 10 of Genesis chapter 28. Is that Jacob himself has left hearth and home. And he is now on a journey. You see this here in verse 10 now Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went toward Haran you know what's driving him on this journey is two things first he is running from his responsibility rather he is he is running from his brother you remember he cheated his brother out of both his birthright and his blessing out of his inheritance his entire inheritance You think about that for just a moment. If I can recall your mind, it's been several weeks. But Jacob not only deceived his brother, he lied to his blind dad with the help of his mom. That's some, that's some grade A dysfunction there. That's a problem there. And he is running from it. He's running from his brother because his brother has decided that once his dad passes away and they, they think that's going to happen soon, his dad seems to be in poor health, although his dad lives for another 20 years. But he is certain as soon as his dad passes away and the appropriate grieving time is over, he's going to kill his brother. Jacob learns of this from his mom who had overheard Esau say this. And so he runs. But there is a second goal that he has in taking this journey. He wants to find for himself a wife. He has seen, been told by his parents, how displeased they were at the wives of Esau. Esau had taken wives of the the nations around them where they were living in the land of Canaan. And those women who came from idolatrous and, and pagan nations and cultures, now... They have infected this infected Esau, and they have caused conflict in the family. So as a result, Esau, or Jacob sees all that with Esau, and, and he runs. He wants to f- run and find a new wife and, and also to escape for his life. And this is the, the journey that he finds him out, himself on. And what we find through this text is that though he has his own plans about what he is going to do and what he is going to accomplish, God has other plans. God is more interested in Jacob's transformation than he is in Jacob's destination. We see in the following verses that there is an encounter, an encounter with God, a divine encounter, an unexpected encounter. And that is followed up with the Lord making unbelievable promises to Jacob. And Jacob's response to the Lord is unreserved worship. So those are the the three hooks that we are going to hang our, our time together on. An unexpected encounter, unbelievable promises, and unreserved worship. As we begin study of The word of God, would you begin, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, this is your word. We come to it humbly, knowing that you give it for our good. Father, we pray that you would open our minds and our eyes that we may see the glorious truths that are here. That we may know you, that we may follow you wholeheartedly, O Lord. It is in your Son's name, our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Jacob is on his journey. He is a lot like all of us, making his plans, going somewhere. But he encounters the Lord. And here we find this this divine encounter, this unexpected encounter in verses 11 to 13a. So he came, this is Jacob, so he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. You know, that first day, Jacob traveled a little over 40 miles from Beersheba, I'm sorry, yes, from Beersheba to this, to this place, which will later, he will name uh, Bethel at the time. It is named Luz, that's known as Luz in his time, but he names it Bethel, and we'll see why in just a moment. But he travels 40 miles, above 40 miles in this, in this first day. The, the total journey from Haran far, far to the north, where his mother's family is. This is about a 500-mile journey. And and Jacob is clearly, he seems to be traveling traveling alone, even though he has the the wealth and the riches and the the blessing and the inheritance of his family behind him. Yet he does not seem to be traveling with very much. He is laying out in the open using a, a stone as his pillow. And the very first thing we see is that he, he dreams of a ladder or a stairway reaching to heaven. This is here in the text translated ladder. It is most likely a stairway. Something like a, a ziggurat. Something almost like a pyramid rising up. With a stairway going up one side. That is, the, that is the picture that is here. Some kind of stairway reaching to the heaven. And, and some of you are thinking of that Old Led Zeppelin song, Stairway to Heaven. That's not what was going on here. Here is Jacob laying down and he dreams of this stairway. And he watches as angels are ascending and descending to him on it. And through the image of the stairway, God is assuring Jacob of two things. First, he is showing him that he will protect him. Angels throughout the Old and New Testament, they are the ministers of God. They are used by the Lord often at times to protect his people. And he is showing that by these angels coming to Jacob, he is assuring Jacob that though he is now out on his own, though he is cast out, running for his life, that God stands Behind him. That God stands over him. That Jacob himself is standing under the protection of the Lord. Though he may be vulnerable. Yet God is interceding. Just as angels were used to bring and protect Lot and his family. To bring them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God is using the picture of these angels to assure Jacob. That he will protect him. But as as Angels are ascending and descending. It also pictures that the Lord is opening up a way of communication between heaven and earth. But here at this place, God is communicating, revealing himself to Jacob in a significant way. It is almost as if, God has given a phone to Jacob or opened up a a, a direct email address with him and, and is communicating with him directly. This is access to God. This is a divine messaging service, if you will. And do you see that this stairway drops down out of heaven? You know, earlier we are told of the efforts of humanity as they unite and they desire to build a a stairway to heaven. They want access to God on their terms. But that is not how it works. We, We cannot get to God on our own. We must wait for God to come to us. And what we have here, what the Lord is revealing is that it is he, who comes to the person of Jacob. It is him who opens up the way of communication. As we read God's word this morning, we read it knowing that it does not come to us because men sat down and they decided, I'm going to write God's word today. God used men, but he is the one who stands behind it. He is the one who initiated it. That the word you hold in your hands, that is a gracious gift of God. Something you and I could never have merited or deserved on our own. It is God's word. Men and councils didn't create it. They didn't decide on it. It is the word and work of God alone. But as fascinating as these angels on this stairway may be, it is something else that captivates Jacob's attention. I mean, you'll notice, I think if you and I were describing this vision, we ourselves might get entranced with these angels. I mean, what? describe the stairway. What do these angels look like? What are they doing? What, what is their physical appearance? What are they wearing? I mean, tell us more. And he's got nothing. Angels ascending, descending. And we're left with nothing. Why? There is something else that captivates him. There is something else that, that is far more important. And it is the divine presence. It is the one who stands at the top of that ladder. And the one who stands at the top of that ladder makes shocking, unbelievable promises. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of, your, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And let's just stop there for a moment. Who is Jacob's dad? Who is Jacob's father? It is Isaac, isn't it? But here in this text, we're told, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Well, I thought, Isaac was, was Jacob's father, not Abraham. Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. But here he is speaking in terms not so much biologically, he's your biological father, but rather Abraham is that, he is that representative head. He is, he is the head of the covenant that God has made with the people of Israel. He is Father Abraham. He goes on, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Think about that. Jacob literally is using a stone for a pillow. He is homeless. He is running from home, hoping to make it to another home without harm. And God is telling him, the whole land around you on which you are sleeping, on which you are lying down, I am going to give it to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here, God is He is guaranteeing to Jacob the same promises that he made to Abraham. Back in Genesis 3, God curses the ground, sin enters into the world. And the people of God who are dwelling in the place of God with communing with God and and, and, and at perfect peace in the place that he has given them with all creation, all of that is interrupted. And God is reversing that first through Abraham, promising that there will be one who comes to conquer and defeat sin and Satan. He makes a covenant with Abraham and then with Abraham's son, Isaac, and now with Jacob. The first promise is God declaring to him the continuation of these promises. But the second promise is there in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. The way God guarantees the The surety of his promises to his people is by guaranteeing his presence with his people. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence is what guarantees the fulfillment of His promises. Not only does God not make promises he, he can't keep or won't keep, the way God assures us that His promises will come to fruition, will come true, is by being with us. God cannot fail, He cannot falter in His promises because He cannot fail to be with his people you know years ago my wife and I took a a number of the teens from this church over to um near Harrisburg where there is the the large farm show I know maybe many of you have been there the Pennsylvania farm show I was not ready for the amount of people that were interested in cows and horses and everything else that was there tens of thousands of people were gathered at this farm show it was enormous and we only had uh, I think my wife was pregnant with our third at the time but we had Isaiah and Ethan and Ethan was only two or three years old if I remember correctly and um, we had gone to this large cafeteria area where they were serving lunch and uh, we were getting our food and we were waiting while I was waiting with our boys while the food was coming and and as we were waiting we noticed uh, uh, I was watching Ethan our youngest who's got boundless energy and that has continued down to this day he was running around our table and it was a standing up table it had a, a, a tablecloth over it so there was a period of about a second a second and a half where he would disappear from my vision but I would you know he'd Disappear and then he'd come around over here. He would disappear and he'd come around over here. And he was just running around the table, getting out energy. And then at one point, I was talking with Melissa, kind of watch him going around the table. Looked over and didn't see him. Waited a second or two longer, didn't see him. Waited a second too longer after that, still didn't see him. And then he start getting worried. Look under the table, he's not there. You begin looking around, walking around the table, looking at other tables, and he's not there. 10, 15 minutes pass, thousands of people milling around. You can imagine the, the panic that begins to set in. You now, fortunately, the, the people at the farm show, you know, the generally nice people, he had wandered through a doorway, down a concourse, and he had been found wandering alone by a woman, and she had brought him to a police officer who had heard over the radio that there was a moderately concerned parent or two looking for their child. Brought brought him to us. And we as parents want to be good parents. We want to watch our kids make sure that they do not end up hurt God never fails to be with us at any time there is not a time in your life where you can disappear from his vision not even for a second or two while you're running around the table he guarantees the fulfillment of his promises Because he is with us. If you have trusted in Christ this morning, you have that assurance. You have that assurance from Christ's own lips that he will never leave you nor forsake you, and he does it by giving you his own spirit. And the Spirit of God is so associated with Christ that we find in the New Testament. It is called, he is called, the Spirit of Christ. Christ is with you now. And he will not let you go. Jacob is far from home. And he needs this assurance. He needs these Promises, and these promises are unbelievable, not just because of the scope, that is, how much they take in, of how big they are, although they are big. They're unbelievable because Jacob, of all people, should not be the one getting them. Jacob is more than a bit of a scoundrel. Jacob doesn't deserve a single promise of God. Cheats his brother. Manipulates his family. Connives with his mom. To lie to his blind father. That is low. That that is some daytime soap opera stuff. And, And that is the kind of person that God makes these promises to. God doesn't give... Jacob, he doesn't come to Jacob with a list of things that he has to do to get his blessings. There is no do this and I will give you this. There are no strings or conditions. There are no commands or imperatives. He does not say, here is what you must do for me. He says, here is what I have done and what I will do for you. That is the gospel, friend. That is the gospel. Brothers and sisters, friends, have you received the promises of God this morning? I mean, Jacob had no idea how much God desired to do for him. And neither do you. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2 verse nine, "No eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him." And you know, God isn't miserly, he's not stingy. He's not trying to budget his resources. He wants to give, He wants to bless. And he will. Every promise of God is a yes in Christ Jesus. He will uphold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. These are all promises. These are all statements from scripture. And we don't ever contribute to this. We don't ever qualify for this. We can only receive it by faith. These are unbelievable promises. And the only right response to them is unreserved worship. You can see this by Jacob in verses 16 to the end of the chapter. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. And he took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Jacob makes... Three statements about where he's at. He says, the Lord is in this place. He then exclaims, how awesome is this place? He can't believe that he is where God is. And then he says, this place, this where are we at? This is the gateway to God. This is awe. He is in awe that God would come to him, that God would visit with him. And brother and sister in Christ, this is our aim. Every time we gather, it is to encounter the living God. It is not merely to score some social points with other people. It is not merely to help ourselves feel better. It is not even to help us learn something that we didn't know before. It is not merely encouragement or entertainment Or education that we are after. It is an encounter with God. And this is not something we can produce. There are churches that gather. Who believe that if we will preach a certain way. If we will have a right sounding music. If we can get the atmosphere. If we can get everything just right. Then we will produce God's spirit. We will produce something. An encounter with God. God doesn't work that way. He is not beholden to our technology. To our plans, to our our services. He is not beholden to how gifted the speaker is. This is something we can only pray for and trust God for. You ought to be praying for whoever whoever is going to be preaching. That we, as we study God's word, as we pray, that we would encounter the living God so that we may share that with others. Pray for Dan as he leads singing. Pray for one another that as we sing together, we might sing and teach one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is our aim, week in and week out, that we would encounter God. This is all. This is worship. Verse 18 and 19, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he takes the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. He he commemorates that place, taking his pillow, making it a pillar, And he consecrates that place, naming it Bethel. This is the house of God. And then he devotes himself. Verses 20 to 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in the way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Part of what he is doing here, he it it looks on the surface. And the first two few times I was reading this, it felt to me like he was hedging his bets. Almost as if he was saying, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. But the more I began to meditate on what he was doing here, he was it was almost as if he was saying, look, you hold up to what you're going to do and I'm going to do this in obedience to you. I'm going to, I'm trusting you to, for you to uphold your promises and I in turn will be devoted completely to you. He responds with vows of his own. He says, the Lord shall be my God. He is binding himself to God. He promises in the future to honor and worship the Lord by building a sanctuary, a place where he will be worshiped in the future. And then Jacob responds with the promise to give to the Lord a tenth, a tithe, a portion of what, gracious, of what God has graciously or will graciously give to him. You know, for the first time in Jacob's life, he's not trying to cheat And manipulate his way to advancement. For the first time in his life. It has been merely given to him by grace. And his response in light of God's generosity to him. Is to devote himself to the Lord. And to promise that he will no longer seek merely to get. But rather that he will become himself a giver. Oh Lord, whatever you give me, I will give a tenth back to you. What he is doing by by giving that statement, by making that vow, what he is saying essentially is he is recognizing that anything he gets is not due to his own conniving wits. Rather, it is due to God's grace, God's generous grace alone. That's why he gives back he is giving in response to the promised to the promises of god to the generosity of god and this is what happens every time we encounter god this is what happens to us when someone truly encounters god Up to now, Jacob has treated his inheritance, he has treated the blessings that God has promised to Abraham and to Isaac and his descendants, he has treated it as his own right, as, as something that is owed to him. But all of that changes here. For the first time, Jacob understands that God's blessings and promises are only a result of God's generous grace brother and sister this is how we too must respond this is what happens when we grow in Christ we our perspective on money and finances and blessing all of it begins to all of it begins to change we realize that what we have worked for and what we own is is not ours it has been graciously and generously provided for us to the Lord. We are not its owners. We are its stewards. And if God is the one who has given us these things, then it is only right that we in turn give him a portion of it ourselves. And Jacob doesn't just stop with devoting himself to God by saying, I'm going to worship you. I'm, I'm going to praise you. He extends that to To where it hurts most. He extends that to his proverbial wallet. He puts his money where his mouth is. And he commits to giving the Lord a tenth of everything. Why? Because he has encountered the living God. And he has been transformed. And he promises to do this from the very get-go. He doesn't wait till he has received a certain level of income. He doesn't wait and says, when when I have achieved a certain level, then I'm going to give to you. When I can afford it in this way, then I will will honor you in this way. It is immediate. He promises to give God a tenth of everything. Brother and sister in Christ, this is the right response of everything. Every one of us who has tasted of the generosity of God in Christ Jesus. Every one of us is on a journey this morning. Far more important than us achieving our goals or getting to whatever destination we have in mind. Is having an encounter with the living God. And tasting of his promises and grace. And where do we encounter this God? Where is our Bethel? Do we have to take a trip to the Holy Land? And there we will have an extra special sense of God. Is it in a certain holy location like a church building? Where is the place where we encounter the living God? It is what we see, what we saw earlier when we had Randy Egoff, one of our elders, read from John chapter one. Where Christ meeting up with nathaniel tells him that he saw him when he was still lying under that fig tree and nathaniel gives that good confession surely you must be christ the son of god and christ's response responds this way because i said to you i saw you under the fig tree do you believe you will see greater things than these And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God and descending on the Son of Man. Christ is picking up this image here that we find in Genesis chapter 28. And he is saying, do you know where Bethel is? It's no longer a place. It is no longer a temple or a building where you encounter God. It is in the person of Christ Jesus. Him and him alone. I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. It is absolutely important. We don't encounter God through any other place other than Christ. And it is through Christ that God gives us and promises us his generous grace. Friend, would you taste And see of God's grace in Christ Jesus this morning. Would you look to Christ? Do you not see how all the immeasurable treasure of God's grace is found only in him? How God's grace is is like a feast set before a table. And you are invited to join and, and it is Christ who gives you his seat. Christ has purchased our forgiveness. He has paid the price for our redemption so that you and I might be welcome into the family of God. Will you not trust in him this morning? Perhaps you are here, kids, because your parents drag you to church week in and week out. Perhaps you have been coming to church for years. Enjoying the friends you have made. Enjoying the the songs, the gatherings of people. Perhaps you have wandered in today. Not sure why you're here. Friend, I would urge you. Trust in Christ. Stop looking for an encounter with God in anything else in this world. Stop looking to be satisfied with anything else that this world offers. Only turn, only trust in Christ and you will be made a son or a daughter of the living God. And brother and sister in Christ, you who have claimed to taste Tasted of the generosity of God in Christ Jesus? Have you forgotten what God has done for you? Do you no more need an encounter with the living God? Throughout the Bible, God warns his people of forgetting. Again and again and again, he warns us. He calls us to remember. In fact, part of the reason, a, a significant part of the reason why Christ gives us this, what we call this supper, this, this Lord's table. Is so that we might not forget. So that we will remember all that he has done. But I wonder, have we forgotten Is there drudgery in our routine of gathering? Do we no longer seek to encounter the living God in our worship? If we are transfixed by the things of this world, we will never be transformed by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look to Jesus Ask him once again that he would restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Oh, certainly, you, we, we cannot once we have trusted in Christ and once we are rescued by his hand, he will not let us go. We may too easily lose that joy. I would encourage you this morning, make it a matter of prayer and ask the lord lord grant me joy in you once again grant us that all grant us this this celebratory feeling this heart of praise A heart of gritty determination to rejoice in him above all things. Because in Christ Jesus, God has given us all things. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled that you would love us humbled that you would communicate with us through your word. We are humbled to know that all of your promises are assured to us through Christ Jesus and him alone. Oh, Father, we pray that you would awaken us to joy and gladness once again in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.